0: Uh, well, hello, my name is Bert. If you don't know me, I'm the lead pastor at Anthem Ventura. Uh, so delighted to be here with you guys this morning. Kevin is away at a wedding, and he asked me to teach this morning, but not only teach, he asked me to uh, open a new series for us. And this is going to be it. We just finished Matthew a couple weeks ago, celebrated Easter, had a delightful time in all of that. Um, But what we are doing is taking the month of April and actually as a sort of continuation from our study through the book of Matthew, digging into a few things. Uh, That we need to wrestle with as a church together and it's actually some things that our almost two-year journey through the book of Matthew Have kind of opened up for us And so that's what i'm starting today with you guys and kev will be back next week picking up uh, The next pieces and the next steps after this and and I want to give you guys a little bit of warning right at the top This morning is going to be a little more on the teachy side and a little less of the preachy side, if you catch my drift. If you have been around Anthem for any length of time, uh, you'll find that we have some of those ebbs and flows. And so what I'm trying to do this morning with you guys is just tee up where we're headed next and to give a bit of an introductory uh, session for what we're going to be wrestling with over the next couple of weeks. And not only the next couple of weeks, but this series really is setting direction and vision For the next season of our church. And so it is critically important that we gather around some of this stuff. And I'll even say, I feel like I can say this a little bit more boldness because I'm not Kev and I'm not here every week, but I'm going to say really boldly, like commit to being here for the next four weeks. Uh, I know it is easy not to, but I'm going to ask you to make this a priority and make your community group a priority over the next four weeks because we are really grappling with new stuff, or some of you guys it's new, some of you it's not, but really grappling with important things for us as a community that will set tone and direction for the next few years of Anthem Church. So it is really important that you uh, find a way to be here, to be present, wrestling with this stuff in your community group and making that commitment even here and now. And so that's just my encouragement for you. But we're calling this series Practicing the Way of Jesus. And really this teaching series over the next couple of weeks is meant to reshape our understanding of following Jesus. And we can see a lot of those words in this title and subtitle, Practicing the Way of Jesus, Reshaping Discipleship, those are all a lot of really loaded words and a lot of words that people have had misunderstandings of or words that have been interpreted in weird ways and words that we find in Scripture and 2,000 years later find ourselves with this weird dissonance of reading one thing and experiencing another. And so what our hope is for these next couple of weeks is to just give us some foundation and language for which we can live and grow together as a church in the coming season. And so before we dig in, I wanna pray, ask the Holy Spirit to inform and guide this time and for all of us to be in a receiving and ready posture. Father, we love you so much. Thanks for what you're doing here at Anthem Camarillo. Thanks for uh, just the the new life you've been sowing in this church. Thank you for the journey that you've brought us on together. Um, And would you help Holy Spirit make us ready receivers uh, for what you have for us this morning? Would you help us to be receptive to scripture, receptive to your voice and your leading? And would you help me teach and preach in a way that accomplishes your goals, Father, for this morning? And uh, as we seek to understand uh, Jesus and his call for us, would you soften up our hearts, our minds, would you help us lay our preconceived notions at the door and really seek to understand who you are and the life you're calling us into. We, we just acknowledge right up front, we desperately need your help in this. Um, we have misunderstood, we've got it wrong, we've had this skewed vision. Whatever it is, we come in with baggage and we come in with experiences, good and bad. And Father, we're asking that you help strip some of that away and to help us to see you a bit more clearly today than we did yesterday and more tomorrow than we did today. And so we ask for your help, Holy Spirit. Would you guide us and lead us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to take out your Bibles, you can take out your Bibles to the book of Mark. Fair warning, we're going to be hopping around quite a bit. And what I want to do is start with this challenge we have around the word Christian and around the word disciple or discipleship. Some of the problem is that, that we are encountering head-on is if you walk into a room of 100 people and you ask those 100 people to define the word discipleship, you will likely get 100 def- different definitions like based on your heritage, your experiences, good and bad, your story with Jesus and the church. And what we are hoping to do over the next couple of weeks is simply provide a bit of a foundation and common understanding for some of the, I don't, I don't want to say basics, but, but fundamentals of who Jesus is and what this life is that he is calling us into. You see, when we finish the book of Matthew together, we had this sense as a teaching team and as an eldership that we're not done with this. We're done with the book of Matthew. We spent almost two years in it, but we're not done with some of the stuff that was just dug up in our hearts. And we kind of left with this feeling of we, we want some intentionality and we want some clarity on what it means to be that disciple Jesus is calling to himself and how that actually reshapes our entire life. And this idea of, of Christianity or being a Christian has gotten a little bit blurry in the last couple of thousand years because as we look to the ending of the book of Matthew and the beginning of the, the book of Acts, we're, we're seeing this, this difference and this dissonance with our felt experience and what we read about in Scripture. And yes, there's time, there's place, there's culture, absolutely. But there is also room for us as people who've said yes to Jesus, to come closer to this life he has called us into. And some of the the problem lies in just a few stats that I want to share with you guys. Um, And the first stat is in a recent Gallup poll from 2015, they found that over 75% of people in America, claim to be a Christian, which kind of on the surface seems like good news, right? Like, hey, this is cool. The gospel is going forward. People are getting saved. This is really rad. But in, a, uh, in that same year, a poll done by Barna, another group who surveys people, found that of those 75 percent who call themselves Christians, about two in 10 or 20 percent of that group are involved in some sort of discipleship activity. I put big air quotes around that because that they, they Uh, put out a pretty broad net for what that means, whether it's attending church or uh, whether it's meeting with some sort of mentor, engaging in spiritual disciplines, you can kind of fill in the blank right there. But about 20% of that 75% is somehow working out their faith, right? Is in in some way taking steps towards Christ and Christ-likeness. And so out of the total population as of about 2015, that means 15% of people who are claiming to be Christian are engaging in some sort of discipleship activity. And some independent polls that have come out since then place that number closer to about 7 or 8%, which is staggering. Which is staggering when you look at the difference between the amount of people who say yes to being a Christian but no to the life of Christ. And I don't know if if any of you have walked some of that journey. I know I have a lot in my life of this journey of saying, yeah, I I believe or I adhere to some generic situation where there's a God and I'm supposed to be at church, and that's about all I figured out. And so these couple of weeks have really been birthed out of a ton of of personal journeying and learning from our teaching team but also just kind of where we're at as a, as a family of churches, needing to set clarity and direction for what we believe Jesus is calling us into. A. W. Tozer, the great philosopher, theologian, writer, whatever you want to call him, said that salvation apart from obedience is unknown in the sacred scripture. That there's something to this idea in the last few hundred years, particularly in the Western world, that you have somehow been able to call yourself a Christian, yet not really follow Christ. And we're not trying to solve all the world's problems in the next couple of weeks, but what we are hoping to do is set direction for us as a church to say, we don't like that, and if nothing else, we want to be a church of people saying yes to Jesus and figuring it out what that means, and not being okay with sort of this vague idea of God and showing up at church only on Sundays and saying that's the ideal Christian life. We're saying that's, that's not it. None of us are perfect or have this figured out, but we want to point the other way and say, no, we actually want to pursue Jesus and his way for our life. And so that is what this series is about, is what this series was birthed out of. Jesus did not call for Christians as we know it today, as we understand that term for today. He called disciples to himself. And so even the difference between those two words, the word Christian is only used three times in the Bible, and two of which are used by people outside of the Christian faith talking about people who are inside. This word disciple, however, shows up over 268 times, depending on your translation. What we know about the Bible is when the Bible repeats something, when the authors of Scripture repeat something over and over again or come back to a phrase or a word, that's sort of like a flag going up, say, pay attention to this here. And we can't ignore that stark contrast between these two words. One that literally means of Christ or those belonging to Christ, those outside the way of Jesus pointing to disciples and saying, those Christians and the term Jesus actually uses for those who would follow him, disciples. Sometimes we, we think you can, you can have one or the other and they can both work in tandem. You're like, And you can say, I, I'm a Christian, but discipleship is for the super Christian. It is for the ultra-religious people who are willing to go to church every Sunday of the month and maybe be in a community group or some smaller accountability group or DNA group or something like that. And so I don't know if that is common for you guys. In the church that I grew up in, these words were sort of used as a pathway of advancement. Like, okay, first, you are a Christian, right? That's just, if you say yes to Jesus, you're a Christian. And then, if you make it, if you're, you're holy enough, if you take the right classes and meet with the right people, then you're a disciple. And that's like, you graduated. That's the next step up. And then maybe after that, you can be a leader. And there's this pathway that was, I'm I'm sure with all good intentions, but set out to differentiate between a Christian and a disciple. And when we have searched scriptures, we simply don't find that distinction. We don't find this gray area we find ourselves in quite frequently where someone can say yes to being a Christian, but no to the life Jesus calls us into. And that's where we find ourselves trying to speak into right now over the next couple of weeks. Dallas Willard, in his book The Great Omission, says, the great omission from the great commission is the idea that we can be Christians forever and never become disciples. Christians generally don't have a plan for doing everything that Jesus commanded. We don't, as a rule, even have a plan for learning this ourselves and perhaps assume it is simply impossible. And that explains, he says, the yawning abyss today between being Christian and being a disciple. And the thing about following Jesus is it does not work as a side hobby. It doesn't. In fact, it's probably harder and more frustrating and more fruitless. Following Jesus was designed to be the central focus of your entire life through which everything else in your life is filtered through. And that's the fundamental understanding we have to have moving forward. That being a Christian is not an add-on if you have a spare weekend, but it is the thing that is most important about you and through which everything in your life is filtered. This is vital for us. Now, that doesn't mean you all quit your jobs, leave your families, and become pastors. That is a terrible next step for most of you in this room, for sure. But it does mean that wherever you are, follow Jesus. And whatever context you are put in, live the life Jesus lived in that context. Let your discipleship to Jesus be the focal point for which everything else is shaped in your life. And through the Gospels, and we saw this quite poignantly in the book of Matthew together, that there were frequently two groups around Jesus. There were other people for sure, but there were frequently two groups who were looking at Jesus and interested in what he was doing. And we find this distinction in scripture between the crowds and disciples. The crowds and and the disciples. And we see that these disciples were people who said yes to Jesus, and literally left everything to follow him, wandering from town to town as he's teaching, preaching, healing, prophesying, and casting out demons, and interacting with the religious elite of the time. And then there's this other whole group of people, hundreds and at times thousands or tens of thousands, who are interested in what Jesus is up to. But never actually make a decision to follow and change their life. And what is fascinating about that distinction, that literary divide that the gospel writers give us is there is no middle space. There's no middle space for someone who said, Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. I'll see you when I die. And that's like and that's it. But if we're honest, that's a whole lot of the makeup of Christians and our time and place today is more like fire insurance, right? Have you guys heard that analogy before? Like, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll say yes to God. It won't change anything about my life. And then when I die, at least I get my own harp on the cloud. And, like, I'm not in hell. And that's the, that's the distinction we live with. That's the reality that we live with. And we find that concept totally unknown, foreign, and alien in scripture, And so we have these two groups, crowds and disciples. And the disciples, just as a frame of reference, weren't only the 12 that are listed here in Scripture. Jesus had a whole lot more disciples, even had women disciples, which was crazy and revolutionary at the time. But we see these 12 are called out and usually used as examples of how to live, or sometimes how not to live when Jesus corrects them. How to live a life following Jesus. And throughout Matthew and Mark and the other gospel writers as well, we have these two groups of people who are often compared as they're encountering Jesus. So we have a whole lot of examples like this in the book of Mark chapter 8. You can turn there if you want in your Bible. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples... So we have this literary divide right off the bat. This happens quite a bit, but right at the beginning, he calls the crowd to him with his disciples. These are two different groups of people with different goals and, and orientations of life. He calls them both to him. And this is meant for us, the reader or the hearer, to force this question out of us, which one are you? Right? Matthew and Mark do this all the time. When we see calling the crowd to him with his disciples, which one are you? Are you just looking on for what Jesus is doing, or are you following him? Are you just interested? Or are you actually following Jesus and arranging your life accordingly? And to be honest, probably a lot of Christians would be way more comfortable placing themselves in the crowd category. Because as we search the Gospels, there's not a whole lot asked of the crowd. As Jesus is teaching and interacting, they, 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 get to receive, they get to be on the receiving end of a lot of Jesus' teaching. They get to be on the receiving end of his uh, uh, casting out demons, of healing people, but not a ton is asked of them. The disciples, however, a lot is asked of Jesus' disciples. Make no joke about it. Following Jesus is not easy. There is a lot asked of those who would come after Jesus. Dallas Willard, in that same book, says the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples. Now he makes the distinction here, but he's doing it kind of facetiously in his book. Disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heavens into every corner of human existence. A friend up in Portland, John Mark Comer, who helped us a great deal in forming this series, said Jesus is not looking for converts to Christianity, but apprentices in the kingdom of God. And It is helpful right up front to understand some of Jesus' intentions for you. His intention is not that you would have this label on the census that goes out every 10 years and show up a few times a year at church. His intention is not simply that you would throw the kid's ministry a bone and serve there once a month, or give some of your money. His intention for you is that himself, his teaching, his ministry, his way of life would so consume you and overwhelm you that your whole life is different because of it. The good news is, this is not all bad news. What we're talking about. I know this is a little bit of a downer so far. It's not all bad news because right after that phrase in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, is an invitation Mark eight thirty four. He says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me. So he said to who? Who's he saying this to? Crowds and? Ah, crowds and disciples. Anyone. He calls anyone and everyone. Do you know what that word anyone is in the Greek? You know what that means? It means anyone. Not a trick tr- question. It means anyone. It means no matter what your history or your background is, no matter your felt experiences, good or bad, or your stories, or how you've been hurt, or how you've been rebellious, or how you don't understand God and the decisions that have happened in your life, no matter who you are or where you come from, you are invited in, which is incredibly good news. Jesus didn't go only to his disciples, only to those schooled in religious traditions of his time and his place, those who had status and power and authority. He said to everyone, come and follow me, which is great news because if you're anything like me, I don't have it all together. And so this invitation is a graceful one of one I relish and enjoy and celebrate. When we get to celebrate on days like Easter, where Jesus throws the nets wide and said, any would come after me, can have life and life to the full. He said to the crowds and disciples, anyone and everyone, no matter your background or history, he invites you and he invites me. But this doesn't just happen to you. It's not a passive thing where you say yes to Jesus and then can sit on the couch and expect the Holy Spirit to do all this great work for you without lifting a finger. Because look at the very end of that same verse in verse 34. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let him deny himself. Any who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This takes practice. This takes effort on your part, which, if any of you guys have been brought up in some sort of reformed background, if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. it's not that important at all the label. But if you've grown up in some reformed background, when I said "work, effort, practice," you had a little red flag that went up and say, "Whoa whoa 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 whoa." But what about the free gift of grace? Absolutely. Ephesians two is very helpful for us. Where Paul reminds us we have received this free gift of grace. Not so anyone can boast, but we were created for something. We are created for good works, for partnership with the Holy Spirit in this life following Jesus. Willard himself says great is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Right? We don't earn our salvation, but once we are brought into his family, you and I have work to do good, sanctioned work by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We have work to do in our journey with him. Jesus often says things like this in Matthew chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, as he's closing out the Sermon on the Mount, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock depending on your translation, that verse may read, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Which is so good. Jesus has spent the last few chapters unloading this manifesto of life with him, this vision for life in his kingdom. And what he is telling us at the very end of that sermon is, this was not for the benefit of your head knowledge. This was not so that you can be a little smarter, understand who Jesus is a little more, while those things may happen along the way. This is meant to change everything about you. You're meant to put these into practice. The common vernacular for for Christians, especially in in first century Palestine in that area, and the the concept of Christianity, the common vernacular label they would use for themselves is, is the way. It wasn't called Christianity, it was called The Way. You're followers of The Way of Jesus. And part of following The Way of Jesus would actually be living like Jesus, doing the things he did, which would come full circle why we call this series Practicing The Way of Jesus. We want to recover and reclaim what it means to be a disciple of Jesus for us in our journey. And so what I'm gonna do with the last bit of my time I have here, so that's kind of, I unpacked sort of the problem and the vision for where we are going as a church. And what I wanna do, for the last bit of time, is just give you guys the, the first taste and the first glimpse of some of the, the core foundational things we're going to be hitting over the next couple of weeks. And so you might leave with questions, you might leave like wanting more, or this is just like an itch that needs to be scratched a bit. Don't worry, that's what these next couple of weeks are for. But what I want to do is give you just a bit of a, a, a taste and a teaser for where we're heading and hope that honestly excites you or entices you to dig in Dig into scripture, dig in with your community group, into understanding this life. Whether you are brand new to Jesus or have been walking with him for decades and decades, I want this to ignite something in you that draws you in further to following Jesus. And so today I want to introduce some of the core concepts of being a disciple of Jesus. And some of it will be really familiar as it draws heavily from our time in the book of Matthew, our last two years in the, Ma- in the book of Matthew. And the completion of the book of Matthew is a lot of the why behind how we got here and what we're doing with this series. So to do that, to understand where we're headed a little bit, I want to dive just very briefly into first century Jewish culture practices and religious traditions to help us understand where we find ourselves today. Are you okay with that? Hang in with me. It will all connect, I promise. But out of the 90 or so times in the four Gospels that people interact with Jesus— 60 of them, they call him teacher or rabbi or both, depending on your translation, which in the time would have meant the same thing, teacher, rabbi, Jesus, the rabbi. Jesus was many things. He was the son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the fulfillment of all of God's promises with his people up until that point and our our moment in history that has forever changed everything. He is a lot of things, but he is also a teacher, In his context, the world he was born into, he was a rabbi. And so his vision for following him is filtered through this lens of what it meant to follow a rabbi in first century Palestine. This has profound implications on how we actually follow Jesus and how we should listen to him and shape our lives around him. And so what I want to do is read a couple of stories of Jesus calling disciples to himself and let that shape our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. So, turn with me to the book of Mark. You can turn there. We're going to be doing a lot of page flipping, or you can just look on the screen behind me. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, who is Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Mark 3, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Don't know how to pronounce that. We're going to move on. That is sons of thunder and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What I want you to see here is the pattern of Jesus calling people to himself is not simple belief in him with heaven at the end. But it fundamentally disrupts everything about their life. This was a call to come and follow Jesus, to come and be his disciple. And this word, disciple, that we find so frequently throughout the Gospels in the Hebrew, this word was Talmudine. And this comes from this root word of Talmud, which literally meant instruction or teaching. And so Talmudin were those who were of instruction or of teaching, implying this student, learner, apprentice, disciple, subservient relationship that we have to the master. And so as Jesus was calling people to himself, he said, come be my student. Come be a learner. Come be a disciple, an apprentice. Come follow after me, recognizing me as Lord Savior, teacher, and not yourself. This was the call. And the word that probably most appropriately translates to English is is not necessarily discipleship, maybe just because it's kind of a loaded term, but what's actually more helpful is the word apprentice. And it gives us a better picture for what Jesus was inviting disciples into was apprenticeship to him. To follow a rabbi was to apprentice under a rabbi. And this idea of discipleship or apprenticeship, it wasn't invented by Jesus. He used that system that had already been in place since Plato and Socrates. He wasn't the first Jewish rabbi to have disciples. They all did. People did before him. People did after him. Sometimes they had a lot more. Arguably, Jesus' disciples are probably the most famous, but this was not a new concept. This was well-worn in the fabric of first century life. was the idea that you were a disciple of someone or something. Discipleship was a normal part of the world, normal part of history, culture, time, place. But the way we talk about discipleship now is very far from its original context and roots and implications. And so what I want to do is help at a very, we could dive so much deeper, guys. I have two or three hours worth of notes we could dive into, but we're not. We're going to do like a very top-level, cursory overview of what it would have meant to be a disciple of a rabbi in the time and place Jesus was walking around and calling disciples to himself. So transport ourselves briefly, first century Palestine, just kind of set your mind there. Becoming an apprentice to a rabbi would have been the ultimate goal of each and every man, right? And so there's these different levels of Jewish education in this time, and and one was sort of like just the basic elementary school situation where you would memorize the Torah, which is, Crazy and the next step would have been like this extra schooling for people who maybe had the, the wit or the intellect to track With that kind of uh, teaching and that kind of learning experience But the cream of the crop in jewish life would have been to be a disciple of a rabbi Where a rabbi would pick you out and say you have potential. I see where you're going come and follow me And to each one of those people a disciple of a rabbi there would have been specific goals In discipling your rabbi and the first goal was to simply be with your rabbi to be with your rabbi this was a 24-7 thing it wasn't it wasn't a job a nine to five job it wasn't a class or Sunday school it wasn't a hobby if a rabbi came and said I want you to be my disciple you left everything and became that person's disciple And at that time, it would not have been a loss to leave everything. This would have been a severe upgrade to be a disciple of a rabbi. To be with your rabbi is your first goal as a disciple. Jesus grabs a hold on to this in Mark chapter 3. As he went up on the mountain and called to those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the twelve, so that they might be with him. This first goal of those whom he called was to be with Jesus. The second goal would have been to become like your rabbi. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Which to us, the cheeseball factor is really high on that phrase, fishers of men, because if you spend any time around a church, you're like, oh, they were fishermen. They were catching fish, and now we're going to go catch people for Jesus, which is actually kind of weird and creepy if you think about it, but this this phrase is not actually what that meant. This phrase would have been a common phrase in, in, in Jewish vernacular around this time to mean like a rock star rabbi. Like, a, a really killer rabbi who attracted a lot of people, who maybe had a lot of voice, a lot of influence, who maybe interpreted the Torah in this new, sexy way, and people were drawn to him and curious about what this rabbi had to say. And so, this is what Jesus was at the time. He was this new, revolutionary, wandering rabbi who was teaching to hundreds and thousands, healing people, prophesying, interpreting Scripture in this way that no one had ever interpreted before, and he calls to the disciples, come and be like, Me. When he says, I will make you become fishers of men, he's not saying, I'm going to make you like throw nets out and catch people. He's saying, I'm going to make you like me. See the things I'm doing? You're going to do those things. See the way I live my life? You're going to live life that way as well. The goal of a disciple to a rabbi in first century Jewish tradition would have been to be a carbon copy of your rabbi. That was your goal. Right, if Preston was my rabbi and I was following after him, I would cut my hair the same way, I'd wear the same glasses, wear the same clothes. We kind of do already, but it's not the point. I would follow him, and and the way he talked, his tone of voice, his mannerisms, the way he interpreted scripture, like, I would seek to mimic all of that. This was the context in which Jesus is calling people to himself. He's taking those existing systems and structures in Jewish life and saying, come, become like me. Become my carbon copy. See the way I interact with the poor and the oppressed and the broken and the marginalized. Be like me to them. See the way I challenge the religious institution who are holding on to power and status. Be like me in how I confront them with the word of God. See how I'm bringing the message of the gospel of the kingdom and healing and casting out demons. Do those same things. Become like me. Jesus was saying when he says, I will make you become fishers of men. I'm, I'm this great rabbi. I'm this, I'm this teacher. Come be with me and I'll make you like me. And our third goal, if you are a disciple learning to be a disciple under a rabbi, was to do what your rabbi did. Back to Mark 3. He went up on the mountain, called To him, those whom he desired, they came to him, he appointed the twelve so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, in Scripture, in the Gospels, who do we find preaching a whole lot and casting out demons a whole lot? Jesus. Yeah, it wasn't a trick question, sorry. (laughs) It's Jesus. This is what he was doing. This is what characterized a whole lot of his ministry. Jesus calls people to be with him, To become like him and say, and now watch me because you're going to be doing the things I'm doing. The, The pinnacle of discipleship to a rabbi would have been your rabbi looking at you and saying, okay, you're ready. Go out and do the things that I'm doing. Go make your own disciples. Go and interpret scripture. Go craft your own teaching from the Torah. Go do the things that I have been doing. This is what Jesus had been doing, and at some point, Jesus says, it's your turn. Right? We, we went through that in the book of Matthew, where he collects his disciples, sends them out on the exact same mission he was on, and they come back all excited that they were teaching, people were receiving the gospel, that, that some demons and authorities like, listened to them and were cast out, and it was incredible. Jesus says, go and do the things I'm doing. The whole point of apprenticeship to your rabbi was not that you would know a lot about your rabbi. The point of apprenticeship was that you would be with him, become like him, and actually go on to do the things he was doing. That's the context. That's the way Jesus was calling disciples, people to himself to become disciples, was layered in this context of being with him, becoming like him, doing the things he did. So for us, as we look to understand in a greater and more clear way what it means to follow Jesus, we are simply looking to that same pattern that Jesus has laid out for His disciples. We believe at Anthem, just good to throw this out there. There's no distinction between disciples in the Bible and, and, and us today in terms of things we can or cannot do or life we are are not called into. We believe as a church that when Jesus is preaching and teaching to disciples, he's teaching and preaching to us. When he's calling us to leave things of our past to follow him and let him radically reshape our lives, that's not just for them, it's for us as well. And so as we look in a greater way to understand what it means to follow Jesus, it is this journey, not an overnight deal, but it's this journey in orienting our lives around these three goals, to be with Jesus to become like Jesus and to do the things he did. That's where we're going over the next couple of weeks. We're digging into these in a greater way. I want to give you the, the one-liner on each one of them. It's not one-liner. I'm sorry. I'll to you. It's a little, but it's like the top level. It's the, it's the entry point into each one of these for us. And the first is to be with Jesus. This is the first and most important goal, to spend our time with him we'll get into this next week because Jesus is not here in the exact same way he was here with the original disciples. We can agree, yes, we believe he, he's with us always till the end of the age. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but, but we have to understand what this looks like in our time and place. That is next week. And this is the baseline for all who would follow Jesus, is to be with him. Paul uses the language, keeping in step with the Spirit. Jesus himself says to abide or remain in me, that this first core fundamental of following after him is to be with him. That's the first and most important thing for us to grapple with. That is next week. The second is to become like him. Out of that place of abiding with him, the goal is to become like him. This might have been called in years past sanctification, spiritual formation, uh, depending on your heritage. It, it might have been something like growing in Christ or spiritual maturity or whatever. Those are all kind of fine. But it, it's, that's our goal is to become like him. As we're with Jesus, he has to change us. He has to change us. And that's what we're digging into, into week three. And the reality is we're all disciples of someone or something, and chances are we're disciples of a whole lot of someones and a whole lot of something as is unique you like to be, like we're all formed and shaped by a whole lot of things and a whole lot of people. And so the question is not are you being formed or what are you becoming something, but the question is who or what are you being formed by? That's what we're seeking to answer on week three. Okay, the third goal is to do what he did, which has made a whole lot of you uncomfortable because you're like, but wait, he was the son of God. He he raised people from the dead. He healed. I can't do any of those things. Don't worry. Yeah, it's gonna be challenging, but that's what we're digging into week four is to actually do the things Jesus did. Jesus himself said, you will do greater. When the helper comes, you will do greater things than even I have done. We have to grapple with that. It exists in scripture as much as it does not compute With our normal way of living, we have to grapple with what that means. So, do what he did. That's where we're going over the next couple of weeks. Often, I think when we talk around things like growing in Christ, we sometimes, I'll say I sometimes, I don't want to think badly of you, I sometimes wait for these things to happen to me. I I wait for spiritual maturity to happen to me. I wait for discipleship to happen to me. I'm waiting for someone to just come out of the blue and say, hey, Bert, I'm going to disciple you. I wait for maturity to happen to me. And one of the things we'd like to encourage you with over the next couple of weeks is to not sit around and wait for something to happen to you. But actually try engaging in this. Maybe for the first time for some of you. To actually take a step forward and say, you know what? I actually don't want to be that statistic of a Christian who says yes to vaguely being a Christian but, but not actually following Jesus. My, my encouragement to you guys, try this out. Like take a step. And for some of you in this room, this is like after long and many hundreds of thousands of steps you've taken with Jesus, and we're so thankful for you, and we need your voice for sure. And this is also for those of you who are maybe checking out the Jesus Church thing for the first time, like, I don't really know what this means, this sounds like a lot of work. Just try this out. Don't wait for something to happen to you, but in partnership with the Holy Spirit, consider what it might mean to engage in this kind of life and lifestyle. Jesus' commandment is the same to you and to me as it was to his disciples. Come, follow me. Come deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus rescues us from a life of bondage and sin and casts this vision for a whole different life and lifestyle. A vision for true life, a better way when orienting ourselves around being with him, becoming like him, and doing the things he did. And that's what this whole thing is all about. And we're not trying to solve all of our problems in the next couple of weeks, but we are hoping to encourage you through tons of of prayer, study, this is being birthed out of the the heart of, of our eldership at all three churches, and to put in front of you a vision for the life that Jesus calls us too and to say we're doing this come with us we're we're trying this out we will fail hard big time have expectation that you won't figure this out the first time around have expectation that this will be hard and different and it will disrupt your life (coughs) but join us on the journey I'm severely disturbed by that statistic that so many can say yes to Christianity and no to Jesus And we don't want to be in that statistic. We don't want to be those same victims. We want to, as best we know how to, be saying, this is the life and lifestyle Jesus puts before any that would follow him. We're going to try to do this together. And so that's kind of where I'm stopping for today. It's not a super clean stopping point, but honestly, for you guys, it's it's an invitation to not let today be a blip on the radar, but to actually commit to engaging in this might surprise you surprised me for sure so I'm gonna invite Casey and the team to come up and as they're coming up my my invitation for you guys into a bit of response as we take some time to to sing together is just to like baby steps start with a bit of self-introspection we see that that divide Matthew and Mark give us quite frequently of disciples in the crowds and first step maybe just saying where would I place myself where did, am I comfortable being in the crowd and, and not really being known and not actually really be changed and being changed by Jesus? Am I, am I in this, this crowd, am I in this group of, of being a disciple and I have no idea what that means? Are you, are you in that space where you say, yes, I'm, I'm a faithful disciple. I've been learning to follow Jesus for years and years and years. Kind of no matter where you are at, take just a few moments in self-introspection and say, okay, where am I? Where am I? That may be a really easy, quick check off the list question. It may be hard work to dig into your soul and your mind and say, where am I? And the next step is just prayerfully ask the Spirit, what's next? What are you showing to me? What are you showing to me about my own life, my own discipleship to Jesus? What are you showing me about how I live my life right now? How can I grow? How can I grow to be with him more, to become like him more, and to do the things he did more? Go ahead and stand up with me. I want to pray with and for you as we head into a time of response. Father, we, we love you. God, we love the story that you're calling us into. Uh, I, I love that you have so much grace for us and that we are not expected to figure this out the first time around. Some of us have tried and failed. Some of us have blown it. Some of us have done that a whole lot and find ourselves in this room with a lot of limps and wounds. But Jesus, as we seek to see what you have to say, be changed by who you are and what you've done, would you honor and empower our journey to be more like you? Holy Spirit, would you be at work in all of our lives revealing the areas that we're missing it, revealing the areas that we're actually kind of doing well and encourage us to more. We just stand as as a church, just posturing our hearts and our minds and maybe even our bodies to say, your will, not mine, be done. Your your vision for life, not mine, be done. Your, Your way of living, not mine, be done. And Father, as some of us are taking some, maybe some of those first hard steps into this life, would you give us a vision for where you're taking us? Would you give us pictures, glimpses of what's ahead? Guys, we do the hard work of digging up our souls and our hearts and our lives. Would you be putting together a picture of what it looks like to follow you? would you give us the confidence and the boldness to obey even when it's hard. We so desperately need your help in this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.